Hey guys, we're back with Sara Agrubi uh, to discuss how do people define you. Um, it was quite an interesting discussion, uh, talking about boundaries and talking about kind of almost like shedding your skin and rebuilding your life at different points and stuff like that. So there was a lot in there. Um, hopefully you'll find something in there that was useful. Uh, I surely did. And uh, yeah, so listen in and enjoy. Hello, and we are back with Sara Al-Agrobi, the hello, founder hello. of The Letters Project and the co-curator of Benat Collective. If you want to hear more about her story, flip back to part one of this episode. Hello again, Sara. Hello, hello. Back again. So we are here to talk about how do people define you? And I really want to get into this because I think it's something we don't talk a lot about. Um, so what do you think? How are we defined by the people in our lives? Um, I think that often at times it's a twofold answer. So I'm going to start with the first one. I think that we, um, there is a philosopher, I believe it's Deleuze, that mentioned, uh, which I mentioned in a previous uh, conversation and podcast, where um, he wrote a postscript mm -hmm. back in the 1940s about society. Mm -hmm. And what he stated in that postscript was um, that we we identify ourselves as individuals, right? right? In meaning inwards, individual meaning dividing. So we are inwardly dividing. And what he made an argument about was the fact that he doesn't address ourselves, he doesn't address the community or the collective as individuals, but rather just individuals, because we are an amalgamation or a, an echo chamber slash reflection of each other. So we're no longer, mm. it's no longer inwards, it's, it's uh, external. And so that's one side, that's one fold of the answer. The second fold is that we are defined by our, um, our circumstance and we are also defined by our context. We are defined by our um, experience, our lived experience, and we're also defined by our insecurities. And I think that that in itself creates what we can be uh, defined as, as individuals. I think it's interesting because um, I think this was back in season one or season two. I don't remember anymore. I, season one, I think. Yeah. Uh, I did an interview with um, Lina Al-Qaddoumi and she basically, we were talking about, I think, how, how we define success, but she was also talking about how we define ourselves if you were to remove all your identifiers. So mm -hmm. if you were no longer a brother, a sister, a daughter, a mother, a father, whatever it was, then and you were no longer, you know, your job or whatever, then how do you then look at yourself in that vacuum and that question completely threw me off because I had no answer for her. And I, I think till today if you asked me that question I wouldn't have an answer I don't know how you would go about that well I think there's various exercises that you could do as well where it's you you find the top 10 things on how you would define yourself if you had mm -hmm. to if you had to label yourself in 10 ways what would those words be and you'd have to think really hard about what they were and then I think it's like every month you have to eliminate one of those words and then you eventually get boiled down to one word. But then that becomes a form of like self-identification. You self-identify with that word. But I also think norms and values play such a huge role in the way that we define ourselves and perhaps redefine ourselves. Because I think one can even make the argument that we go through a process of like self-annihilation mm -hmm. time and time again, over and over again. I think it takes the body, I think, seven years to fully regenerate. Right. So we kind of have this idea of like fresh blood and fresh skin that it's you reincarnated of a different version of you every single time. 
And um, so I think with this notion of like individuality versus individuality is that you are constantly read, you are redefining and redividing yourself on a regular basis, uh, not just who you are at your core value, but how the other external forces uh, reflect whatever it is that you are throwing out there. It's interesting because that process of like self-annihilation, I was, I don't remember who I was having a discussion with, but I was like, yeah, I tend to blow up my life every like five years or so, just completely just throw a grenade into it, blow it up and then like pick up whatever pieces I still want and then kind of move on. Like uh, when I moved to Dubai, I think it was five years ago, I literally, I was like, I decided I wanted to move. I printed out my resignation, handed it to my boss. And I was like, I'm moving. And like, do you have a job? Do you have a plan? I'm like, nope, I'm just moving. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, I finally like stabilized here. And then like, what was it? A year, a half ago. I was like, so I'm leaving my consulting job and I'm starting a podcast company. Like my people, and people are like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I know, right? (laughs) You're just like, I'm just living my truth. (laughs) I'm just, yeah, self-annihilating. That's (laughs) But I think that's the only, that's, um, so I think one can also make the argument that, you know, where there's friction or where there's this like point of contingency or point of like um, resistance is where, um, you know, vulnerability comes in or creativity comes in. And so you have to have that roadblock or you have to be kicked off that ivory tower or that like ridiculous pedestal that you set for yourself Mm -hmm. in your privileged entitled way. Yeah. Um, And you become an uh, an alternate version of yourself and then you decide how you want to live and you decide who you are and i think within uh this part of the world we are very much defined by the parents and society Mm -hmm. we we don't exist as this origin or this like vacuous uh uh object and we very much are just a mirror or a ripple effect of whatever society asks of us right um and i think that's where i don't i don't conform to that so i i exist as a self-aware human being i'm aware of myself and who i am and who i keep close to me and who i don't to to kind of deep dive deeper into that because like you said we grew up in the collective and so you quickly you you're raised with an identity kind of already placed around you. And mm. it's quite vast because mm. whereas, for example, in the West, it's, you know, you, your parents, your siblings, maybe your grandparents, mm-hmm. you know, it's quite small to a certain extent. Here, it's quite expansive in the sense that, you you know, the collective is so much bigger than that. It's your whole extended family and then all the people that, you know, all the families they're married into and all of, and it's just so and the much name, bigger. And the, the name, name holds so much weight. And you leave, you leave your house and, and you carry all of that with you. And so I think to a certain extent, you reach adulthood and you've been so formed by everything, mm-hmm. by like by generations before you and what they've built. And you're kind of, like you said, you're like a tiny drop of a ripple in there. And, and that ripple goes very much where that lake is and yeah. what what that lake looks like definitely finds where that ripple goes right and i think my self-annihilation if you will is very much a, a process of let me blow up everything let me see what's left at the core mm-hmm. and then i'll take what i want at that core and then see what else i build and then after a few years i'll probably blow it up again see what else is stuck on the core that i like and then whatever is unnecessary kind of move on yeah with. because i think it's so easy to 
because life is busy. Mm-hmm. Life is busy. There's so much going on, you know, between family, friends, work, et cetera, et cetera. You sometimes don't even notice the parts that you're putting into your identity. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't realize what you're putting into, into yourself until you suddenly one day look in the mirror and you're kind of like, uh, how the hell did I get here? <laughs> exactly. But it's interesting that you, you mentioned this idea of like, you know, almost in a way shedding shedding that skin or shedding mm-hmm. that like layer and, and figuring out where you sit within that framework. Like there is this, um, she's a, her name is like Shannon Lester. And mm-hmm. she, um, she talks about how you can be divided into two types of people. You're either a warm blooded animal or a cold blooded animal. And it ranges back to biology and mm-hmm. us wanting to like human inclusion and human uh, conformity and always wanting to congregate and assemble um, and uh, connect like hum- like we really desperately want to connect with people and we want social inclusion is so important in our in our daily like kind of fabric right but this this notion of like um, a warm-blooded animal is you know like a a mammal or like mm-hmm. um you know a, um, uh, a um, I don't know like a human or a, a dog or a cat or whatnot um, because it is warm, so it doesn't need the external forces to regulate its core t- temperature, its core body temperature. While something like a snake, which sheds its skin, mm-hmm. um, which is a cold-blooded animal, it needs external forces in order to survive. And she relates that to self-esteem and self-worth. And that, you know, there are those that are that regulate their own sense of confidence and core self-esteem versus those that need external validation in order to exist. And I think that's interesting when it comes to like how people define you and how you are defined by others. Uh, like I would believe that I am very much a warm-blooded animal. I don't need external validation. And so, but when when you are a cold-blooded animal, you require everyone to fit you or compartmentalize you into certain boxes. And that is the only way you can exist because people who have low self-esteem don't do esteemable things. And when you are of a culture that is a shame-prone culture that has, for example, is fractured by disengagement or Mm -hmm. fractured by comparison, because we live in a society that's fully based in that, it becomes very hard to transition from a cold-blooded animal into a warm-blooded animal. So in a way, we kind of set ourselves up for failure, and then we go through this existential crisis, and then we self-annihilate. So it's right. very much this vicious cycle. So how does one go from, I guess, I mean, the question is really, then how do you go from having low self-esteem and constantly needing to kind of be a people pleaser and fit into everyone's box to then, to, you know, becoming a warm-blooded animal that self-regulates your own self-esteem? I mean, I mean, it's as simple as um, people with a good sense, a high level of self-esteem, do esteemable things. What's an esteemable thing? um, You become divorced from everything that that defines you and you put the energy and the fixation on someone else. You do charity work. You give back to a community. You define yourself by the good that you can do within a community. um, And then that in itself, that in itself defines you. So you develop esteemable qualities that no longer are attached to whatever someone defines you as. And then you become known for other qualities like um, you are kind, you are self-aware, you're vulnerable, you're empathetic. And then you no longer fixate on the self, but you put all that energy elsewhere. It comes back around 
and creates this kind of full circle. And then you go, well, yes, I believe I am sympathetic. I believe I am vulnerable. I believe I am capable of this. And then in in essence, I am worthy of love. And then I'm worthy of giving and receiving love. And then you are a warm-blooded animal extraordinaire. Wow. Way to give us a solution. (laughs) So easy, guys. (laughs) That's all you need. It was a one-two step. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. It was just a one step, really. (laughs) But um, no, I I like that. I think it's also, um, you also have to kind of be very aware of what you're putting out there. No relationship is one-sided. And I think so many people, when they look at, you know, how they're defined, whether it's with your parents or your siblings or your friends or your boss or whatever, they look at that relationship and it's almost as if it's imposed on them. Mm-hmm. And I think if you literally, if you, you need to take the time to study what you're putting into that. Yeah. Because a relationship is inherently two-sided. And if you feel like that person is putting you in a box or pigeonholing you or, or whatever, you're, you're doing something there. You're allowing it or you're, oh, definitely. you're doing something that is allowing that kind of behavior. No relationship is just completely one-sided and vice versa. Maybe if, if you're feeling the need to please this person so much, what is going on there and what kind of energy are you putting in and what happens if you stop putting that energy in? How does that relationship shift? And I think people can be so afraid to shift the dynamics of the relationships that they've had their whole life, mm-hmm. especially the ones that you've had your whole life. Mm-hmm. What, you know, because you, that, that relationship is so established. And you know that you know the patterns of it. You know how it works, and you know it can be a, can be kind of scary to change it because you don't know where it's going to go. Definitely, and I think you have to really sometimes take a look at a relationship and be like, okay, what what do I do? I want this relationship in my life, a, and then b. If so, what am I putting in, and Definitely. what am I getting out, and what can be shifted? But I think what makes it difficult is you're trying to go on this journey, but then someone comes and just smacks you down. And it takes a lot of strength to kind of, I guess, fight against that. How do you deal with people who come for you because you're self-aware and self-confident and because you're trying to make your own decisions and, and live I your mean, life the way you want I mean, this is a daily struggle. Get in line, honestly. <laughs> like, um, for me, it just kind of comes from knowing thyself. Uh, mm-hmm. If I, for example, if people pigeonhole me and say, you know, like, um, I don't know, like you can pick anything. Give me, give, give me anything. Sure. Sara, what the hell do you think you're doing trying to like speak for women in the Middle East by working on something called the Banat Collective? Who are you to speak for women in the Middle East and curate their voices? Thank you for your opinion. Thank you for letting me know that. I'll take it into consideration. That's it. Why, why, do, I, why do I need, first of all, to take on what you have said as merit mm-hmm. and as gold? And why do I need to replace all of my norms, values, ideologies, and things I hold dear in favor of yours? Okay. And what if it's not Mshari, but what if it's like your dad or your mom and they're like, mm, I don't really like where you're, what you're doing with your career or your life right now. I don't think it's, it's same the right thing. decision. It's the same thing. Because I am my own person. Mm-hmm. I have my own opinions. I have my own soul. I have a heart, beating heart like everyone else. And, and I have an ability to think with a brain. And so I'm able to curate and be the architect of my own life. So uh, I can respect people's opinions and I can uh, internalize them. And I will think about them because mm-hmm. I think every, every opinion is valid, mm-hmm. uh, even if it's the worst form of criticism that you can receive. But I draw the line between criticism and constructive criticism. Right. There's a huge difference. If I'm not going to, if there's no learning outcome 
to a conversation that I'm having with somebody, then, then I don't need to waste my time because the one currency that I don't have um, is renews, renewable time. Right. Um, so if you're wasting my time and wasting your breath on trying to like define me or say whatever you want to say about me, then I can choose to disengage from that. And, and I'll do that. What's really interesting about uh, setting boundaries and understanding where boundaries sits uh, in your life is that boundaries are only uh, boundaries are set in place for the people that benefited to, benefited you for not having uh, having any, and I think that that's really important because the people that are the most the, the angriest with you when it comes to you setting boundaries and respecting your time and respecting your energy, the people that are in my life. Uh, they add something to my life and and I am in their lives or they are once again in back in my life because it's a privilege. Mm. Like I'm your friend because you are, you, it's a privilege for you to be my friend and back and, uh, vice versa. and vice versa. So if I value myself, I hope it and in turn people around me value themselves too. So the people that I surround myself with are people that know their worth. So it's that simple. Amazing. Um... What's one word you would like to use to describe yourself, but are too uncomfortable to say out loud around people or to people? Oof. Another question that I do not like the phrasing of. No. <laughs> um, I don't have any word that I'm not comfortable yeah, I, with. Yeah, I, I read that question. I'm like, hmm, after this interview, I don't think she has any, but no, let's see. No, like I really, I really don't. Okay, what's your favorite word to describe yourself? Sensitive. Okay. I'm extremely sensitive. Um, so, and that can be, it's like, it's my, it's the very thing that like, that builds me up and it's the very thing that breaks me. And, um, when my grandmother passed away a few years ago, uh, rest her soul, before she passed away, she, uh, brought me into the room that she was like quite ill in. And she told me, come sit down with me and lay your head on my on my, uh, on my knees. And I did that. And she said, you know, Sarah, you're too sensitive. And that is why you are here sitting with me because you are, you are the most sensitive. And surprisingly enough, I was the only person out of my entire family. And I mean like extended cousins, everyone that wasn't there when she passed away. And I think that there was a reason for that. And, um, so for me, I, I I sit very comfortably in my in my truth and in my flaws and in my failures because I don't I don't believe in them. I I think if we do we make a mistake, there's always time for reconciliation and a way to to grow out of that because that that's where growth is. Mm. When you remove obstacles within your pathway, you don't have that friction that creates growth. Um, so for me, any word that people would define me, I would never really be uncomfortable about it. Interesting. What? <laughs> Go on. I, what's the next question? <laughs> I need to hear this. Oh, God. What's a side or aspect of you that you would step into more if you could? I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> um, not, no, no side, because I step into all sides of myself. I lean into every aspect of myself. And I think that I can get a lot of flack for it. I can get a lot of heat for it. What's the one you get the flack for the most? <sighs> Acknowledge it, acknowledging that there are social stigmas that exist within the fabric of Emirati identity and 
bringing them to the forefront, I think is the biggest one. Because once again, people come from that position of privilege and entitlement where they think, well, you can't speak on behalf of like the full Emirati community. I'm like, well, I'm not speaking on behalf of that community. I'm speaking on behalf of a very specific community. And then again, I'm not speaking on behalf of a community. I'm speaking on behalf of myself. Um, one of my favorite books, and I always use this as a quote, um, is The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. And the opening statement that Howard Rourke says to the principal um, in the university because he gets expelled, the spoiler alert, well, it's not really a spoiler alert, this is the first part of the story, but he says um, he basically gets expelled as an architect because he chooses to create drawings and lines and, and, and sketches of, of buildings that don't align with what he's supposed to be taught as the main kind of curriculum. Mm -hmm. So he gets expelled for it because they're like, these drawings don't exist within what we're trying to teach you. You're trying to go outside of that. And, um, and he goes, you know, if I can remember, he goes, you know, what do I have uh, 60 years left to live? If I, uh, if I do what you asked me to do, then I'm condemning myself to 60 years of torture. Um, um, I stand at the end of no tradition, but perhaps the beginning of a new one. And that's kind of the way that I, that I kind of live my life. Like I would say that he's to a degree, my spirit animal. Um, I stand at the end of no tradition, but, but perhaps, perhaps the beginning, beginning of a new one. I love that. That's yeah. awesome. At, at the end of the day, you stand at the end of no tradition, but perhaps the beginning of the new one, as, as, as Howard Rourke would say, so eloquently say, but also at the same time, you're not bound by the rules that you set for yourself because you make the rules. So um, if I decide that I want to be a certain way or I operate in a certain way, there will be ups and downs in my life that will shift me in a different direction or be points of departure into another realm. Last question. Here we go. (laughs) This this one's nice. Okay. What's your favorite childhood memory and why? Ooh, that's tough. that's really tough because I had an I had a, an amazing childhood. I mm-hmm. every, life was so um, caref, carefree and effortless and weightless, and we just you know. And I indulged every part of my creative side. I was in even when I was living in Turkey, I, I went to a school which really advocated for the arts. So I did like music four times a week. And was in an orchestra for three years and did honor choir. And, and I think actually that might be one of my favorite memories. So what made that your favorite memory? I, um, I, was, I was auditioning to record an album with this thing called the honor choir, mm-hmm. where people would travel from all over the world and they would meet in one place. And every year it would change. So it was in Dusseldorf, Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was like 11 at the time. Okay. And, um, and I just was like, I'm going to audition. And I did, and I got it. And they only picked three people out of our entire school, which was hundreds of students. Um, and the next thing I knew I was on a plane recording an like on a plane to Dusseldorf recording an album with like hundreds of kids from all over the world. And it was very much that typical scene that you see in movies where you walk into a hallway and someone's like beatboxing and another one's chiming in with their songs. And then someone else is tap dancing in the background and someone else. And I'm just like, this is where it is, you know? (laughs) And it was a great memory because it showed how 
creativity and like how expansive my life could be, mm-hmm. how, how free, how carefree I could be. I could sing, I could dance, I could do whatever I wanted. And so, and I just lived my life that way. I, that's, that's why I have no like boundaries when it comes to that. <laughs> but yeah. Amazing. Okay. Well, that was our last question. Okay. So thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Thank you for having me. Where can people find out more about you or any projects you're working on? So my website, sarahalagruby.com. My Instagram account is sarahalagruby. Uh, Sarah um, and the lettuce project is thelettuceproject.co. And yeah. All right. We'll put all those in the episode description. Thanks for everyone t- for listening. Let me know what your thoughts are on, especially on like how people define us. Uh, I would love to hear what your experiences are. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Rami or wherever you're listening. Join me next week for another episode of Millennial Mirrors. This is Mshad Arnezi signing out. Bye, guys. Bye.